Welcome to the Bruin Podcast. This is around episode 63. And this should be the conclusion of uh, the second season of the podcast. And this is also the conclusion of our conversation. Uh, This is about the fifth episode where we're talking about technology. And really, I want to talk about technology, uh, the critique of technology in 2017, rather than sort of the historical aspects of that critique, which obviously will come up. But but really, what I'm what I'm thinking about a lot is what's different about today that wasn't thought about when uh, technology was originally critiqued or critiqued at least from from my sensibility uh, coming out of the 80s. And with me today is Jason. How are you doing, Jason? Very good. Good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you. I um, earlier this week I did. I had a very long conversation with uh, Ron Sikorsky on the same topic, and at the end of the conversation, he was so um, upset with himself about sounding like an old fogey, and especially sounding like he was a creature of the '90s or something that he basically uh, refused to share uh, the episode. So I'm I'm hoping that uh, this one goes a little bit better and that you don't feel uh, uh, like like you're getting ahead of yourself or or um, yeah. Anyways, um, curious what you're going to start off with here and well, I mean really really the question is simple and, and you know there, there's sort of two sources to this question that I have and one of them is you um, and that is that I have felt as though you know for the past five years or so. You have lamented the the lack of a uh, of a specific critique of technology. Also, John, in all of his lamentations about how uh, anarchist politics have moved on without him, also seems to 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 in particular be frustrated that people are not talking about the specifics or something specifically around technology. And so, to me, this is a a general question about how technology does and does not fit into a general anti-civilization critique and what it means in the context of anarchist critical thinking that we are or are not thinking about technology. Are we thinking about it clearly? That's the, that's the broad question. But obviously, the, you know, the reason I'm bringing you here is because you have a particular flavor and a particular approach to these. Yeah, well, certainly, I have a particular perspective on it, and I've been disappointed all along from the beginning with uh, how the various critiques of technology have been integrated into the anarchist uh, forms of theory and practice. I've never been happy with uh, anything, but then I'm always critical about everything. Um, so. The thing that most I missed from the very beginning through now is where we're starting from. And I feel like it's always from, or not always, but most of the time from what I can see, almost always at least, people coming from some kind of abstract critique instead of starting from their everyday lives. And I think everything would be probably on balance, much more coherent and much more effective if everybody worked from starting from their own critique of their own everyday life. Uh, And that means figuring out how technology sits in that, not on how technology sits in a preconceived social critique or a preconceived theory of nature or even worse, religion of nature or whatever it might be. Well, just just so that we can 
understand how you're thinking about this. Can you talk about an example of something that does come out of daily life? In other words, is there a place where you've seen anarchist or post-situationist politics that does do a, a critique that starts from daily life and then works from there that we could perhaps model a critique of technology on? So uh, nothing comes to mind immediately. Uh, work. Excuse me. So work. work technology. No, no work. You're talking about a critique of work as a, as coming from everyday life critique. You mean oh, as, as opposed to a critique of technology or critique of technologies well, in work. No, I'm I'm saying so. So stop talking about technology. You, you just basically uh, articulated a model in which we we could be talking about technology, and yet we are not. So, do you have an example of something that we do talk about couched in daily life rather than from a abstract place? And, and, and given that you didn't have a, a quick example, my, my offering was that possibly work is something that we begin with daily life rather than from an abstract place. Um, so, I'm still maybe not quite getting what you're saying, but I would... I would just want to turn the question of technology from one that's a question of an abstraction of technology and you know how we should be critical or how we should you know uh, do something about it into instead uh, talking about how we can reclaim our own lives and what it means when we come in contact with things that are typically associated with technology, for instance, every kind of systematic network of transportation, of healthcare, of uh, communication. communication, or in better, uh, you know, discommunication, or, you know, whatever you want to, uh, propaganda uh, uh, broadcasting, uh, which is more what most people think of communication as uh, much of the time, aside from person to person, but even then it's mostly broadcasting uh, propaganda that people have uh, constructed about themselves and their world. But anyway, um, you know, trying to look at how those things are related to the underlying social uh, structure, which is one of, and you know, of course I, I, I'm prejudiced on this because uh, I have uh, thought about it for a long time. I've trying to push the idea of modern slavery as being, you know, the, the paradigm for what exists because people don't want to talk about wage slavery anymore. Um, the importance of that, that, you know, unless people are starting from, that, from a clear conception of the fact that almost everyone does almost everything they do under duress and when not under duress, under highly elusive circumstances in which they're trying to avoid recognizing that they're doing things under duress. Unless you can identify what's going on with that first and have an understanding of it, it doesn't make, it makes it much harder to figure out what you'd ever do about technology as an abstract uh, kind of uh, institution, um, especially if you're going to isolate it from the rest of the world. So, Well, working with you for a second, in that, in that framing, it seems that the job of technology is to convince you or is partially to, to provide the tools to convince you that you're not a slave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's to discipline and to, to uh, indoctrinate, and it's highly successful, And uh, it, but it's not a thing in itself. It's all of us participating, and if we didn't participate, it wouldn't be successful. Yeah. And so it's a matter of 
you know, critically uh, undermining it in every possible way all the time. And if we had uh, a better grasp of how to do that and a better practice, we would be more successful in critically undermining all the parts of the social uh, machine that uh, are that we're you know engaged in. Um, so I'm unhappy to see when people you know come up with some particular idea that okay we should uh, you know all strive for for instance uh, living in primitivist style communities as a you know but you know have no idea how we would get from here to there uh, because there is no way to get from here to there when you're talking about abstractions like that that would have any conceivable relevance to most people Um, I have you know no sympathy with people who want to say that you know all the you know the earth is sacred and the uh you know the uh every species is sacred or something well yeah i mean they're you know all whatever you want to whatever kind of abstract value you want to put on them they have uh great value and but you know to call something sacred is not a solution to our problem to tell us what to do about it it doesn't you know it sets up uh uh tells us oh yes there's something special about this but it doesn't tell us how that's special in relation to human community and our lack of thereof. Um, I'm not too sympathetic when people come up with ideas that, you know, the uh, uh, earth is a, a god or something or a goddess, whatever. Uh, when people come up with uh, all the various religions and ideologies of uh, 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 primitivism, green anarchy, uh, whatever it might be, um, I think they're always not getting to the point that we're, you know, basically that the world is part of us, that we're part of the world. It's not separable. It's not something that we have to put some greater value on something that's outside of us or that's something that's inside of us either way. But if we want to uh, feel better about ourselves and our world, we need to be doing something that uh, moves towards uh, creating the absence of all the self-alienating mechanisms that have that we've set up to uh, separate ourselves from that, and so I'd like to see people start from something more concrete and more real. And but okay, so j- just to interrupt. There. Part partially what you're describing, how I describe what you're saying in different words, is that anarchism in general tends to be an excellent mechanism to critique. Uh, the world that we live in, and perhaps even to critique um, uh, cut-and-paste solutions to our problems. But on the other hand, most people who think that moving to a commune and bringing as many people as they can along is a concrete answer to the problems that plague the world. So, So I guess maybe you have an example or two that looks like something that, that is a bit more concrete. I mean, I think... Communes are pretty concrete. I mean, I think it, it, it is true that, you know, any kind of social activity that we do with other people and with a critical common basis is going to be pretty concrete activity. Um, but what I worry about is when people do that and then set as their goal to attack something in a way that's, I would think, overly abstract and not getting to the underpinnings of why things are the way they are. I mean, I find it 
I find it sad to see when people uh, spend a lot of time pushing a, uh, you know, Marxist uh, critical theory or um, when people push ideologies of primitivism or ideologies of, uh, of identity, uh, it's, it's all not going to get us where we're doing any anarchist space. Um, it takes us away from that. Um, and not that we shouldn't uh, engage with those, those ideologies and uh, find out what's worthwhile within them at, at the same time as we critique their uh, ideological nature, etc. But if we could be doing something that made sense to ourselves and other people without taking on these ideological identities, I mean, I think that would be much more effective. So I see I have you as puzzled as you were with my incomprehension of your original. Well, I... I, I mean, what's fascinating about, uh, you know, so so a broad topic that I'm generally interested in is, so the post left, the, the, the people who wrote the, the articles that we can call the post left mm -hmm. articles, of which obviously you were, you were the editor of most of those articles, um, <clears throat> took analysis so far. Mm -hmm. My project, by and large, is... That, that, you know, as those people have rested, I would like to push those topics, those ideas, those, those uh, roots. I'd like to, to grow them. Mm -hmm. and, um, and one of the challenges, and one of the challenges that I come out of the post-left with is that, by and large, the post-left presented itself as a critique rather than as a set of solutions. Mm -hmm. I'm on board. That's great. But at some point, there's... A, there's and maybe it's an aesthetic um, uh, that's involved here rather than something that's real. And, and I think that a lot of times when we misunderstand each other, it's b because of our aesthetic preferences. So I like a critique that ends with someone punching someone else in the face. And you're, over time, you have become mellower and more cerebral. And, and, and um, I'm... I, I hear what you're saying right now is pretty abstract. So I'm going to try to ask the same question I asked earlier in a, in a different voice, saying what I just said. On some level, we're talking about wh what's the revolutionary project look like in a post-situationist? Like, you know, the, the way I always describe this is first wave anarchism ended in the Spanish Civil War. Second wave anarchism began in May of 68. And one of the fruits of the second wave anarchism was obviously Anarchy of Journal Desire Armed. So to the extent to which people have decided that, the, decided that there's a plan for the second wave, they basically say that the second wave anarchist perspective is an insurrectionary mm -hmm. perspective. And then they've gone and they've defined insurrectionary in ways that, in my opinion, are indistinguishable from activism. Mm -hmm. In other words, they've they've contorted insurrectionary activity to be like if there's a soundtrack or if we can write a communique rather than insurrectionary, meaning this like rigorous critical engagement with the world that never stops um, and that's infinite. Mm -hmm. So I like what you're saying. I mean, I think it's not 100 percent true, but 90, 95, 99 percent, yes, of things. I mean, there's always been some. Some people who haven't gone quite that direction. Which direction? Into turning things back into a 
totally insurrectionary activist direction, uh, at least who have resisted going all that way. I'm, I'm mostly referring to the U.S., so which is what I know best, but yeah, onward. So anyways, the, the point or the question that I'm asking you is like, so on the one hand, I do not judge someone who decides that they want to return to the land or start the commune or whatever. I just don't have so much hope that I personally think that that's my end game for me personally. And I, I assume that something similar is true for you, but it's definitely not the revolution. Mm-hmm. It's that, like at best, it's a solution that can help with like that's, a nuclear family size solution, maybe a little smidge larger, but not much. I mean, I think you can do as much if you're living rurally in a community that's small and that's as you can in a big city. But I did make the choice to move to the big city rather than stay in the small place. And actually I was in the process of building a house on a small piece of land with a land group uh, when we decided to move to the Bay area. But, uh, you know, I did decide to move to the big city because I was hoping that I could uh, interact with more different people and and uh, participate in something that was going to uh, uh, what be a little more coherent, et cetera. But I realize now since I've moved here that I probably would have been just as good off staying where I was and interacting uh, more intensively with the people who would have been more, more available there because they weren't so stressed out from living in a giant uh, metropolis. But anyway... One's, you know, I don't think it's any worse to be there. And I think there is something positive to be said about people who are trying to create their own livelihood to a greater degree than you could ever do currently in a big metropolis, although medium-sized cities might be a different perspective when you can at least have some urban gardening and and have some hope of having uh, a little more control of... uh, gathering people together in, in one area even if it's they're not living contiguously with each other but anyway it is rather isolating to be in a metropolis where you're still going to be outnumbered by uh unthinking uh uh what can we say zex uh on their way to try to uh you know do their latest uh uh high income uh uh wage slavery uh, but anyway, I, I, I don't want to put down ever anybody who's doing that. I just, it is, although it is also, though, very common when people want to farm collectives or communities, especially rurally, for them to think that I have the answer here. And if we kind of replicate this everywhere, that's going to be a solution, which it's not. Um, so, you know, what I, what, I, what, I, what I miss in all anarchist projects is a little bit of self-critique and people being realistic about locating what they're doing as one thing and amongst many other possibilities, all of which will have some greater or lesser impact and coherence. And, you know, where can I do this? How can I do this to do the best I can under the circumstances with the energy I have, with the contacts I have, with the abilities I have? And feel good about myself in doing it while at least moving along towards undermining the totality to some degree without trying to say this is the only way to do it and be ready to work with other people who are doing it in their own ways and do it and be relating them in a critical manner so that you can encourage them to also be self-critical about their own projects. I mean, I just find that that's not very common or not common enough, at least from my perspective, from what I see 
I see more people getting involved in projects and trying to promote them as the way to go. And why aren't you doing the same thing? And if you don't do the same thing, you're not, you know, you're not radical enough. And, you know, we're going to, you know, put you down. We're going to, you know, beat you up. We're going to whatever. It just doesn't make sense um, the way I see things going right now. So to change topics, but obviously to stay in the same space, what are the three things that you think have improved because of the Internet? in terms of your projects and in terms of your efforts? And what are the three things that have gotten worse? Rise of the internet. Three things, huh? Well, I could think of uh, probably not too many more things than three that have improved. Um, but, I mean, certainly, you know, as far as generally putting out uh, abstract uh, uh, linguistic communications, you can do it with uh, less money now, so it gets more places, although you have a lot more competition from a lot of other incoherent things going on as well. Um, so anyway, that's all a plus though in general. Uh, certainly it's nice to be able to reach more people around the world than you ever could have in the past. Um, another positive thing, uh, I suppose, is that, uh, but although you know, it's kind of also negative in a way, is that you can do things uh, individually and still get out to a lot of people and not really have to rely on a group of people to do a printing project or something like we did in the past. But that has its drawbacks too in that then you get more idiosyncratic, uh, isolated uh, perspectives that don't have as much... Uh, Social leavening. Yeah, something to make them a little more self-conscious uh, in a broader way than you can do it on your own. Um, so anyway, it leads to its own problems, but it, you know, on, in general, it's a good thing that you don't have to rely on trying, you know, if you're isolated and you're the only person in your community who's an anarchist, you can still do something and get it out there in a fairly safe way, even if you, uh, you know, even if everybody knows who you are, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, easy to do and doesn't cost much and not, not hard, but uh, then it starts getting harder beyond that. <laughs> to think of positive things, um, what can we say? How uh, about discussion? Hmm? How about the the uh, discussion would possibly be the third? Okay, yeah, it is back, true. Back and and that would be a possible third if only it existed. Um, if people could actually contain their um, righteousness and, and uh, narrow-mindedness enough to actually communicate with other people, it could you know, open up worlds of possible communication with people you otherwise could never come in contact with very easily and it would be really hard to you know send letters to 5,000 people in uh, you know another continent but you can easily contact 5,000 people there if you have something coherent and worthwhile saying um, that they would want to read um, but that doesn't happen and said people those 5,000 people are going to be seeing some you know bizarre comment that gets to the attention and ends up being the thing that people find instead. Um, so, you know, you end up with, you know, as things are, uh, a lot of potential that's not realized in any great way for the anarchist milieu. It has probably helped spread the, uh, uh, you know, some fairly superficial ideas of anarchy and critique of civilization beyond where it might have gone otherwise. But the price has been that it's spread superficial ideas and has resulted in <clears throat> less coherence rather than more, I think, overall, and less effectiveness and more 
uh, dead end uh, projects that didn't have the coherence to begin with, so they just got less and less coherent until they burn out. So, so you've 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 blurred into the the three things that are yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot more to be criticized. I'd say. I mean, you know, basically, as we were speaking before the interview started, uh, and I was mentioning that uh, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, you could not make up a, a science fiction dystopia um, that would be as bizarre as the one we have now, where people have the Technology uh, in their face, almost uh, all waking time. Yeah, even when they're doing things when they, you know, that that threaten their lives, they'd rather look at the screen than and interact with it than than another person or their surroundings or nature or anything else. Meeting people in public nowadays is almost impossible. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. It's like you literally are in a restaurant or or in a public space that, and open to meeting new people. It's absolutely yeah. I mean, they don't even see you. Um, it's. I was. I was uh, amused the other day to see a reference to some. I didn't. hadn't really thought about it since. Uh, it really doesn't apply to me, and I am not the kind of person that actually looks at what's on a phone almost ever. Uh, but somebody was saying, uh, "Oh, this person was it's a, was a first date, and the and the um, other person didn't pull out their phone once during the whole first date." It's like, oh well, it's, you know, could be that way, it could be that bad, but. Um, I think I was reading that in the newspaper, actually. Um, I hadn't really thought about it. I don't, I don't experience this because it's like all these zombies around me, they're not human beings. So what happened to the human race? It's like there's just a few people left at this point in any given day that I see that still remind me of uh, what it's like to interact with other people and 20 years ago or 30 years ago. It's pretty sad. Yeah, for sure. Although that's not really the fault of the Internet. That's the thing that came next. Right, mobile technology. In other words, putting the internet in your pocket. It was implied in the internet. What's implied also sure, is the sure. you know the implanting of transmitters and all the skulls of everybody. And <laughs> you know, at, if if nothing happens, that's where it will be. I mean, I you know, it's obvious that in twenty years that could be you know even worse. Have you been exposed at all? And this is sort of random, but not random at all. There is an entire body of people who've been informed about Max Stirner. Via meme. Via meme? What is it? So a meme would be a picture, um, let's say a picture of like a Trump thing. And someone will basically say, I have all the spooks in big text on the picture. It's clearly a picture of Trump being silly, making some of face, whatever. And basically using the words of Max Stirner to, to poke fun in a egoistic direction at, at Trump. But it's not just Trump. It's it's literally like hundreds of images a day are being created by fans of Max Stirner. Stirner memes is a way in which a variety of people have been introduced to the ideas of, of Stirner and egoism in general. You, you haven't, haven't seen, seen this, this at all. No, I haven't seen this. Like, so for instance, Dr. Bones. I've heard of Dr. Bones because I saw something on Anarchist News by this guy, but I can't, don't recall offhand what it was. It was... Somewhat incoherent. <laughs> so Dr. Bones, who is right now the Internet's best-known egoist, learned about egoism via memes. Mm. Max, uh, Dr. Bones is also the person that outed Wolfie mm. in the Wolfie translation. Okay, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bringing it back to me a little bit. Anyways, I'm, uh, 
I would so love for Sternheide, who is also worried about identity politics, is what it was. Well, that's that's the great thing about memes, right? Memes are, are this, you know, by definition, a very shallow way to to understand this material, and yet topical as all hell in such a way that's exciting because you can basically make new ones every day because there's always fucking spooky fucking shit going on around around us mm-hmm. or spectacular shit if we were to use a you know a different lens. Um, but the point is, is that this is really, like, there's a certain cachet. Like, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of kids who are every day engaging with this kind of material as, like, their way to understand what's happening around them and as their way to engage with this anarchistic material. Yeah, I can't say I'm familiar with it, and I can't say I'd be interested in seeing it. <laughs> but I suppose I should look at it sometime. Mm-hmm. I did read the Dr. Bones thing, now that you mentioned what it was in the context, uh, and it was very strange to see something that had a few uh, sensible, uh, critical uh, ideas, but also mixed up in ways that didn't make much sense with other things. Uh, so it's hard to take it seriously or to imagine that very many people would actually be able to read that. Well, this is, I think, the thing that actually does have a have a, a, a root in post-structuralist thought and, and even in... in, in you know, collage culture, right? Really what we're seeing nowadays is collage ideology. Mm-hmm. And and the internet and meme culture in particular has really taken this <clears throat> to almost like to peak collage. No one calls it that, of course. But but that idea that, that, that one cherry picks ideologies based on sort of indecipherable motivations, although by and large those motivations are because they want to be with an in crowd, because they want brand you know like mm-hmm. there are very clearly reasons why but but by and large uh it, it's the, this collaging has almost created like a factory of mm-hmm. of different permutations of how people wear i i feel like it was it yeah. was foreseen it's like a 20 30 years more ago. intensive uh version of when uh, punks were doing their you know punk culture thing that tended to also appropriate things and with a fair amount of negativity uh, added in, you know, was was interesting and creative at the time, and in your face. Whereas I find this, you know, this doesn't sound like it's going to be too much. I guess uh, I don't know. It's quite so uh, stimulating of uh, critical thought. I don't know. I suppose it does to some people. Well, it it definitely doesn't. Uh, uh, I think that the the part that's the most interesting about it. Is how is to see the different coalitions of these these different collage identities um, unite and not unite under under certain banners. Mm-hmm. So you know, for instance, when if you do if you did a course of the different controversies over the past twelve months, you could see you know like like if the issue is about um, sexual manipulation in the workplace, you see the, you know these different. Uh, uh, groups, you know, coordinate or, or almost like these these very temporary coalitions based on the particulars of a of a uh, of a controversy, and and it really does seem like the coalitions that happen now only last the lifespan that a particular controversy mm. can actually hold them together. And once that controversy is over, once it's been resolved in whatever way, some celebrity has been fired or whatever, those people never knew each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, uh, a uh, 
culture like that doesn't uh, bode well for uh, sustained uh, radical uh, critical practice. But, but uh, you know, it does at least every time somebody's critical of something, open up the door for anarchists to participate in trying to widen the conception of it and understanding of it and get down more to the basis, which is of the underlying social structure in which people have their lives organized against their will by, you know, the institutions that keep them enslaved in which they allow to enslave them and take their time and energy and that require that we participate in the reconstruction every minute of those institutions by participating in their reproduction. So, the, um, That language reminds me a little bit. You know, there's been a repopularization, for lack of better language, of Marxism mm-hmm. in the U.S. And it's weird because I don't, I don't see it myself and I don't believe it because I live, you know, in Berkeley where there have always been sort of like versions of, of uh, Marxists. And in particular, like the, there's a Malice bookstore downtown or mm-hmm. near, the, near the campus that still does activities, but it's mostly a pack of old people who've been doing the same thing for decades um, and with very few young people. And the young people that are there feel like they're just they're like they're wearing a pin and that next week they'll, you know, they'll be doing something totally different. Um, when you're, when you're talking about modern slavery, by and large, you were talking about something that is comprehensible to a Marxist perspective. In other words, you're, you're talking about something that, that they would describe as being a class analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what's the difference between modern slavery and class society? I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, not that people are not in something that can be described as a class society, but descriptions on the class basis have less relevance overall now if you're going to try to divide the different parts of who's in what part of the class, etc. It's been over the last hundred years more and more um, homogenized and everybody's basically more integrated. There's not any sectors that are actually engaged in wage slavery that are too much more or less um, engaged in conscious reproduction of the whole system than they're, you know, I mean, it used to be quite different where people were dragged, kicking and screaming from uh, their own uh, rural uh, uh, agriculturally peasant whatever communities and they tried to integrate them into, uh, you know, being a, a, a wage slave as opposed to a, you know, tied to the land kind of slave. And uh, that created a lot more of a, it was much easier, shall we say, to, for people to understand what it meant to, uh, for an anarchist critique. These days, people don't understand it because they don't even acknowledge that they're participating in their own enslavement every day. It gets harder and harder, but you know it doesn't make sense to worry about talking about it on a class basis because talking about it on a class basis in generally just leads to well, how can uh, whatever the working class or whatever you want to say, uh, you know, how can uh, we end up with uh, political power? And so I'd like to get you know always beyond that to talk about the fact that all political power is based on enslavement and the fact that uh, if you look historically. Uh, there was no state until there were enough uh, uh, people that were enslaved to be able to create that structure. Um, it's not like you have a state without um, being able to create, to, to have somebody who you can uh, force to maintain the 
organizational material, whatever requirements for that. Uh, it's you know people that before there was such a thing as a state, everybody could escape basically um, and go live their lives, and 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 uh, you know unless you made uh, were able to physically subdue people and make them into slaves one way or another, and then have a religious Eventually, what what what, what uh, allowed it to happen on a wide scale is, to, of course, to have the religious uh, ideological basis of uh, having people say, "Oh yes, I am a slave, and and you know I deserve to be a slave, and you know please you know let me um, slave away for you." Uh, and have that hierarchy uh, that became permanent. What well, also seems like what you're talking about is that there's no escape today because everywhere you go, you end up having to pay rent. In other words, like. Like I mean, there is no escape. Yes, there's no 100% escape. You can just relatively escape from some parts of things. But to be, uh, you know, even in a place where you're not paying rent uh, means that at the least you're going to have to be under constant uh, uh, military uh, organization uh, self-defense conditions, which is not sustainable when the whole world's <clears throat> paying rent. got the rent, got the resources <laughs> of, uh, you know, five and a half billion other slaves that can, you know, be arrayed against you. So, so this, what you're talking about, is very interesting to me, um, mostly because, uh, like, the kids nowadays talk about this constellation of ideas as, as being the problem of negation, right? So, so you'll hear in the rhetoric and in modern communiques or whatnot that these uh, horrific institutions, what you're calling slavery, they would like to negate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the popular ones to negate would be gender. Mm-hmm. Right, so gender nihilism, the project of gender nihilism is the negation of gender. Mm -hmm. So how does one negate slavery? One negates slavery by refusing to act as a slave. So, I mean, that means that... So it's an individuated process. So, you know, it has to be, definitely. I mean, you know, it's not something that other people can do for you. Because even if other people are no longer slaves, doesn't mean you're not going to be a slave unless you change your own life. So it requires that everybody participate. As a social thing, just destroying slavery doesn't work unless you also have the majority of people refusing to be slaves individually. I mean, I've never quite understood how people can think that, you know, you can have a social change without having individual change anyway. But, I mean, it, it's one of the things that's lacking, I think, is understanding that anytime you have a, you know, non-trivial um, social change, it means that you have to have a bunch of into people individually deciding to change. And so it does help when there's a mass of other people that are critical of something for other people to jump in and do something that they might not have done otherwise, but it doesn't of itself change the other person. So the only example that comes to mind when you when uh, using the terms that we're using right now, and this comes up to me also because yesterday was the anniversary of his execution, is the uprising represented by John Brown. Mm-hmm. Do you have other examples that you use when you talk about the, this constellation of rejecting slavery on an individual basis, but also as a total project? Uh, I mean, I think, personally, I think it's the uh, underlying perspective uh, in all the early anarchist... Uh, uh, so Paris Commune. Uh, what can we say? The most uh, important theorists and practitioners all around, except for those who were more, more obviously... Uh, uh, reformist most of the time like Proudhon, but you know, their Proudhon also had some pretty insurrectionary ideas too. But anyway, I mean, you know, individually and yeah, I mean, I, I, I love the idea of the early insurrectionists uh, where they thought uh, 
and, and it wasn't so absurd then as it, as it would be now when they thought they could march into a village and burn all the bank records and all the... This is the Malatas that you're referring to. The, the, the records in the city hall and, and uh, say, okay, everybody's we're free, let's, you know, reorganize life. I mean, you know, it was even a little bit absurd then, but not nearly as unrealistic as it would seem now. Mm -hmm. If you don't put yourself back in the situation then where there was local organization and everything was not integrated like it is now with the center as, uh, you know, periphery was very much uh, on its own if there was a disaster or something and, and uh, you know, there was always changing of allegiances and stuff. So anyway. So when, when I describe you to others, and I'm, I'm just I'm going to go out of the limb here for a second, and I describe your project versus Wolfie's project, because obviously the two of you agree on an awful lot, I would basically say that your project has been to take European ideas and translate them into American terminology, whereas Wolfie has been much more uh, accommodating, even though clearly like he has an American point of view, but he's been much more accommodating to just doing translation work, mm -hmm. in other words, letting Europeans speak for themselves. When you're saying slavery, and perhaps you know, with my addition of talking about the negation of slavery, you're basically talking about insurrectionary without using a big clumsy word. I mean, I've always identified more with insurrectionary, and I shouldn't say always, but you know, mostly I've, for most of my life, identified with insurrectionary techniques more than others because I think they're more honest and more likely to lead to something worthwhile um, as long as they're not taken in a religious, uh, totally ideological way. So you wouldn't use John Brown as an example then? <laughs> um, you know, there's certain admirable things about John Brown that should be taken into account, but it also those same things are what led to the unrealistic uh, aspects of his program. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I would much prefer to uh, you know organize something where everybody or most people are actually successful and live, rather than that they're <laughs> semi-successful and die. Yeah. Um, that's my perspective. Is not to say that that's the right way, but you know, I'm just not the person that's going to volunteer to do the suicide thing. And I don't think I would hope that most people that I know would not want to do that either. I think it makes a little more sense to try to do things we can realistically bite off and chew and and get somewhere than uh, to, to hope that from our example as mortars somebody's going to change in the future. That's not that attractive to me. Uh, but no, I'm not not to say that you know that. Someone else who does that is wrong. I don't think there is any right or wrong here. It's a matter of, you know, we would like to get someplace and everybody's going to have different ideas. And even people who do things I think are stupid, uh, when they genuinely, when I think I see them genuinely identifying that what they're doing is thinking that they're going to get some to some more anarchistic, uh, more um, socially uh, and individually, from my own aesthetic uh, uh wonderful place to be that I'm going to, you know, give them a lot of slack um, if they're doing something. So, for instance, uh, you know, you can look at somebody like um, Ted Kaczynski, um, who for many people would be totally anathema. You know, I'm, I'm willing to look at both positive and negatively um, that, you know, I do think he had, he, he was trying to do something that was socially, um, from his perspective, not to use, not, not that he would ever use the word progressive, but, you know, was, he was trying to be, you know, a nice person for the world and sacrifice himself in the process, potentially. Um, and it's not like he was, you know, 
certainly any more crazy than the, uh, certainly I think less crazy than the average person who joins the military and goes out and kills people in Iraq. You know, with its, or a CEO of a corporation. Uh, yeah, or who wants to, uh, you know, supply the uh, 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 military with uh, the means for mass death or wants to supply the uh, internet with, uh, you know, enough, uh, uh, as they say, uh, uh, fake news or propaganda or um, what would that be? Just plain old, you know, mass media, um, advertising, whatever. Um, it's all absolutely disgusting, and at least uh, you know, Ted Kaczynski is far above the uh, other people, uh, especially far more uh, praiseworthy than any president of the U.S. or any senator or any, you know, average uh, person in a place of administering uh, the state that involves much power and authority. But you didn't actually address sort of the heart of what I was asking you, which is, did you consciously take on the project of trying to translate European ideas into an American so, syntax? So, one of the things I've always wanted to do is basically rewrite Max Stirner in a way that people in the U.S. would be more likely to be able to have some con uh, conception of what he's doing in a more comprehensive way. And also, I would like to, you know try to synthesize what I see as all the anarchistic, um, the genuinely anarchistic impulses from Europe or the U.S. or anyplace else, although most of the, you know, the anarchists, when you're talking about historically, I mean, that's where it originated in Europe, so that's where it's centered. Um, synthesize all that also into language that people can, that everyday people can use and not have to say, and not have to employ big words like proletariat or whatever else that lend themselves to ideological interpretations more than getting us to any kind of communal uh, understanding. Just, just a, a, in terms of that narrow goal, what have you written that you think did the best job of doing that? Uh, well, I hope a lot of things I wrote did partial jobs, but I, you know, I haven't actually done anything on more sustained basis, but I would, you know, I mean, I'm trying to work on something right now, maybe would be an example of what you would, would be asking me to say, but I haven't finished writing it yet or even, I mean, you know. I, I love your critical thinking article for this particular reason, but critical thinking is sort of, is almost a bridge too far for most people. Like, in other words, I would love to be able to hand documents to a stranger and be like, well, this is a great start. If you if you like this, then I can point you in other directions. And critical thinking is close, but it's almost a bridge too far. Yeah, I mean, I, what, if you're talking about what I wrote for the modern slavery, uh, the, the critical self-theory thing, um, that I intentionally, because it's in a, you know, it's a long article, it's not meant um, to be... Uh, the kind of thing I would hand out to you know people who are un unfamiliar with the, the milieu um, by itself at least I, I didn't mind putting it in as something that also had other perspectives that so that it was not going to be the one thing that would make them not buy the journal. But <laughs> would you think? Do you think the crime think did a good job at this at all? So maybe early crime think. I would say you know far be it from me to say that any project has to to do what I wanted to do. Sure. I'm just talking about this particular thing. Uh, thinks aesthetic of how they do the stuff is uh, never not for you. Yeah, it doesn't it, doesn't it, interest me that much. It makes it's hard for me to read, and it's 
and and but but I do see value in it certainly. But but um, they tried to do that, and they are thing. you know and and yes, one of the values of that is that they're trying to do something that doesn't just reproduce the critiques that somebody else did without making it uh, giving it their own um, style and. Uh, attempt to relate it to people where they're at now as opposed to people where they were at when the you know original anarchist and social socialist critiques were made a hundred years ago or whatever it's not like just trying to reproduce what has become because it's no longer in its original context and and has been interpreted to death in different ways is that has now become more of an ideological anarchism than a living one um, and because they're trying to, you know, trying to make something new, yeah, I think it's great that they've done that. And and could I say I wish I had the energy to, uh, you know, have read all that stuff and be able to engage them a little bit more. Um, talk a bit more about the thing you're writing. Oh, just uh, you know, uh, basically it's uh, something that would be uh, a quick, uh, short book length uh, explanation of the. Um, you know, where I would like to, what I'm trying to do with the modern slavery journal thing in general, but it's something that would be accessible, but at the same time comprehensive, but at the same time necessarily sketchy and not, uh, you know, can't be detailed um, to explain, yeah. I mean, I really liked, you know, Bob's Anarchy 101, the thing that ended up being called Anarchy 101, I thought it was a fantastic introduction in the voice that you're that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that we no longer live in a culture where there is a everyday person. In other words, like American culture by and large is carved up into um, effective units, like people who who only read the sports pages, people who read the editorials but maybe not the front page, um, <clears throat> people who just want to talk about Kim Kardashian, um, and and so to me, you know, how would you write something that would speak to all three of those groups? Seems seems damn near impossible. Yeah, I mean, you know, what we want is for, you know, what we need is more coherent critiques that are expressed in every possible subculture by people who are partially involved in those subcultures. I mean, that's what is required which means a lot of participation. And we have the ability, because there is the internet there, to have lots of things that are that are that have huge numbers of variations instead of printing, you know, five million copies of one text. Um, so, I, you know, basically on that, you know, in that sense, the internet would be wonderful for changing the world. But until you have people who can understand what, is necessary to be done. You instead have people who argue about identity politics, or argue about, um, you know, well, should we be critical, uh, critically supportive of uh, people going to vote for Hillary Clinton, or should we be critically supportive of people who want to vote for Trump to throw the world into chaos, or do we want to have uh, people who are, you know, supportive of uh, more laws for, you know, protecting women, or you know, it's just like endless. Um, dead ends that people want to detour off on um, unless we can get to the point of hey what we really want is where people can make up their own minds and and be authors of their own activity with other people and do it in a way that enhances everybody else's activity overall so that we can all be freer it's not going to happen when you get to the point where you have all these leftist misconceptions that take priority over the anarchist stuff that they're supposedly 
supporting, and instead we're going for the leftist stuff. When then you know, pure leftism always involves imposing that leftist vision on a population by force, which means the state. And you know, you, you can't do otherwise. It's an ideology. Um, if you're going to be an anarchist, you have to start off with first. Oh, I respect the fact that you know every person I meet, if they're not going to attack me too hard with uh, too much violence uh, that I'd like to, hey, live in the same world as they do and negotiate some space for both of us to work the, you know, or all of us to work uh, uh, what we can do best. That's a total, you know, if that's first, then all those other things become secondary. Okay. You know, okay, you want to, you know, you're an anarchist, but you're a racist, you know, uh, well, have you thought about this? Can we, you know, please, uh, you know, expand, you know, try to expand your perspective and I'll try to expand my perspective on the things you don't like about what I'm doing, but instead we're, uh, when we get into all that stuff, which seems to be the dominant mode, people would much rather have ideological uh, number of uh, uh, pure uh, uh, people on a pinhead uh, versus, uh, you know, the rest of the universe arguments. This seems as good of a place as any to stop. Okay. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah. No, thank you very much for your time.